What is up, guys? We are back for another episode of Found the Remote. Our guest today is someone I am extremely excited about. He is uh, an amazing filmmaker, one of the funniest people I've ever met. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Paul Trungone. Paul, how's it going? Hello. It, it is great. Is and that- actually, uh, it's Trungoni, believe it or not. I was going to so, say, I don't know how to pronounce your last name because I only call you Paul T. Yeah, that's what, I, that's, that's what everyone calls me because, you know, there's so much confusion and why. Just, you know, yeah. just get it over with. But really happy to be Italian. here. Yeah. And Alex is here with us, as always. Alex, how's it going? I'm pretty disappointed that you didn't start the episode off with maybe the easiest opener that we could have ever had. Which is? Should I quote it? I guess. Buongiorno, principessa! Come on, dog. All right, well, you didn't even watch the movie in Italian, so I'm surprised you even got that. Well, that part was in Italian. Good morning, right. princess! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we won't keep you guys in suspense. We'll let you know. Paul, what movie did you pick today? I chose Life is Beautiful, directed and starring Roberto Benigni. Yes, and uh, from what I understand, this is one of your favorite movies. It speaks to you a lot. So why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about why you chose this movie and why you love it. Um, so I actually chose this movie, um, because in the, I think it was the 10th grade, my Italian teacher showed us this because he wanted us just, you know, experience some other culture and, you know, see that there's, you know, life beyond American, uh, pop culture, film, music. So I've always really loved the film just because it's just like, it is great from start to finish. You know, it's, it's a film about the Holocaust that's funny and it's like one of those envelopes that like you don't think it's possible to press when you first hear it. And then you watch the film and it's like very heartfelt, very emotional. And it's a, it's a very special, you know, testimony to the people that went through the Holocaust and a testimony to life itself. So I've always, you know, had this film, you know, it stuck with me through high school, just like as a memory. And then in college, uh, I took an elective. It was uh, comparative film and literature. I really didn't want to take the class, but I was like, no, film sounds really interesting to me. This is when I was studying, uh, biology so i did this whole like presentation and i ended up like reenacting one of the scenes from the movie where uh roberto benini gets up on you know like the desk in front of the children and he's you know like acting yeah. with the german uh you know medical chief there so you know is there a video is there a video of you doing there that? is not a video we didn't oh, plan I, don't that for. I, <laughs> I don't swear i wish there was a video i really yeah, wish that would have been okay so let me ask you this rumor i heard i heard that and you might not be able to confirm it for me, but I heard that Rob Kramer, who was our guest last week, so people, if you haven't gone back and listened, I to listened. I listened to some like like through his episode. He was tenacious. Yeah. It was like yeah, scaring he, me. He he's a he's a tenacious guy. I do if I do say so. Great myself. word. He told me that his your guys' Italian teacher in high school used to call him Benini or like Benini or Kramer. Like was he talking? Was he talking about uh, Mrs. Verdicchio? Do you know what that that is? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't great so. name. I don't know. I didn't see. You, Rob's year older than me, so we didn't have him. I didn't have the same class, but it wouldn't put me put it past me of really talking about the same person to make some kind of like weird little pet name for someone else. Yeah. That's just the type of woman she was. She's very scary. Uh, but she's <laughs> nice. I don't want to talk any. You know. Shout out, Mr. Verdicchio. Recorded <laughs> format. Um, but yeah, so the movie we're talking today, Life is Beautiful, as always, guys, before we get into it, if you haven't watched the movie yet, 
this one especially more than others. This is like such an important movie for you to go watch. Go find it somewhere. Um, it's not that hard. You can rent it if you want to, but go watch it. Go watch the subbed version. Um, get those dubs. Yeah, out don't of here. watch it on Cinemax. Rent it. Don't watch it on Cinemax. Um, go find it and watch Amazon it. Amazon Prime, four dollars. That's all you need. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I did. That is exactly what I did. Um, and then come back because we will be talking spoilers as always. So, um, I feel like it's only right to start this out by talking about the man himself, Roberto Benigni, who, like you said, Paul, stars in the movie, directed the movie, and from what I understand, wrote the movie too. Yes, that is part writing the screenplay. So, like, who else do you know that can do all this stuff? I mean, this is like to get that kind of success, like that kind of Oscar success from something like this that he had such a heavy part and must have been like a big feeling for him and i imagine this is just such a personal movie um for him yeah i can't really put a finger on it who do all all three of the things we just mentioned but there's definitely some close uh some close comparable people when you think about you know just the abilities out there and some you know some actors but from my understanding and i I could be wrong. I, I read this while He started in theater. He's always been like a theater actor. And I think he's like, if you notice by some of his antics, Charlie Chaplin was like a huge inspiration to him. And his yeah, and I, acting I know career. Alex wants to talk Chaplin. Yeah. That's the first thing Alex texted me yesterday was after the movie. He was like, oh, I got some heavy, like great dictator Chaplin-esque vibes from this. Yeah, oh, so yeah. Have you seen the great dictator, uh, Paul? I have not. No. Okay. Um, but yeah, I like watched it maybe like two, three weeks ago. Um, it's Charlie Chaplin's first movie where he um where it wasn't silent, like where he was talking. And basically it's he plays both uh like I said, a satir- a satirical version of Hitler and also uh, a Jewish barber who just so happens to look exactly like this Hitler um <sighs> moniker. And uh one thing leads to another, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's very Chaplin-esque, and it's super, like, it's just an anti-fascist film. It came out during, before America entered World War II. Um, and both these mo- like, it, it definitely is separated into two acts, very much like uh, Life is Beautiful. And also, mm. um, both of them have, like, crazy controversies uh, behind them. And the Great Dictator one, like, I read up on, um, like, prior to seeing it but this one like not watching it i would have had no idea that it was like controversial um and I'm, we're going to talk about that later um but yeah just like it's interesting seeing the parallels and i am glad that you brought up chaplin because even his um his like benini's physical like movement and the way he uses like slapstick humor is very chaplin-esque yeah um, so I've never heard of that film, so I'll be sure to check that out. It's really good. Very, very yeah, good. Check that out. You can get it on the Criterion channel, who just extended their sale for another month. Let's go. Um, but so what I want to talk about to start, like you said, Alex, you know, this movie is very much in two acts, right? Um, and I was actually telling somebody about the movie today, and I was like, you know, this is not a movie I would go into blind because it would destroy you. Because they do such a good job in the first half of really showing you, like, the beauty of life, you know? It's a beautiful, like, whimsical romance story. And, you know, obviously he's fantastic. Roberto Benigni's fantastic in that role of, like, I don't know, the romantic trying to court this this lady. And uh, My man was adamant. 
Hmm. He, to quote Paul, he was tenacious. Yeah, if we're being real, he, he got let's out there a little bit. Let's just say, if this was uh, 2020, he'd be me too'd. Like, Hard. He might be me too'd. Um, Hard. <laughs> I just think it's great. I love the writing, just like the way everything just works out, you know, because, you know, he gets all those coincidences that we see as coincidences, right? Oh, uh, with the hat and like the key and all that stuff that's just sort of falling into place for everything to happen. So I think the not- coincidences are really though like even though they're coincidences, each has like such like purpose and like statement with it. Yeah. Yeah, for There's, sure. Um, I, I said that this is like maybe the best print the best execution of the Chekhov's gun principle I've maybe ever seen because it is so repeated, even even within like the jokes within like that, like the hat and the key. Um the principle for those who don't know is basically there was this writer Chekhov something Chekhov and he basically said if you introduce a rifle on the wall in the first act the rifle has to go off in the second or third otherwise the rifle should never be there and this is an unbelievable example at there are so many setups and punchline and and payoffs throughout the movie but even from like the very first moment to the very end like it's unbelievable Alex, you're flexing on us right now with the Great Dictator and all the principles. Yeah, this movie was very like on a surface level. I enjoyed it so much, but like I was really watching it, I was like, "Yo, this is a very good just example of like simple filmmaking done incredibly well." Yeah, yeah, I 100 percent agree. Um, what I was gonna say, where I was going with that, was like you know not to fast forward, but we see all these things that come back in the first half. Um, and sort of everything working out for him. And I think, like I said, fast forwarding, heavy spoilers here. When he does die at the end, it's such a shock because you're like, there's no way it's not going to all work out for him. He's making everything work out. And that's just one of the huge, like, heartbreaking things about this movie. But I think the reason it hits so hard is because of how well they set up that first act. I think there's also just, like, a lot of foreshadowing where you see things that are, you know going so right in so many ways like you know you see you know the the boy doesn't want to shower for example is one of like the huge the biggest you know telltales you know in the first act you, know, you want he's yeah. a boy that likes to hide so i think that's just you know and at first you're watching this like he doesn't want to hide he wants to hide and not take a shower you think it's just like so simple it's like a little kid thing like the way they tied in at the end like i said you know you were gonna say heavy spoilers definitely on a sort of unrelated note, while we're talking about the kid, I'll say this. Uh, Alex and I have talked about it on the podcast before, that whenever there's, like, a character named Josh in a movie, like, it, like, weirdly sticks with me. So the example I gave was about the Batman movie with the Penguin, which I don't know <laughs> if you've seen. But, like, he, like, bites this dude's nose off. Danny DeVito bites this dude's nose off, and the dude's named Josh. And I was like, that scarred me for life. <laughs> like, I was like, no way. And so, like... Obviously, when I saw this movie for the first time in high school, I was like, oh, nothing better happen to this kid right now because I'm going to freak out. Like, Fun fact, this kid is also Maximus's son in Gladiator. So he has two all-time son roles. <laughs> yeah. Giorgio Cantorini. Yeah, wouldn't know anything about him. Um, except he's a cute kid in this movie. He is adorable. Um, so, um, so that first act... You know, we get into it, and like I said, if you don't know anything about this movie, you go in completely blind. When shit starts to hit the fan, 
you are so heartbroken and you're just like all right i know like as someone who's seen plenty of holocaust movies like you know where this is going um and i think you're just expecting a lot of heartbreak um but getting into the controversy of this movie the experience of these people in the concentration camp is not at all what we were expecting and what anyone's expecting um you know and a lot of that is the point of the movie right it's it's filled with whimsical jokes and like you know the idea of protecting innocence and just to you know bring up what people say is controversial about this movie is that some people argue for instance mel brooks hates this movie because he thinks that it crosses the line and makes too much of a joke of the holocaust um so i'm wondering if i can get your guys thoughts on that i mean i think i know how you think mel brooks said that mel brooks of all people get out of town no way (laughs) he hated this movie was this, like, it. before, like, some kind of, like, change? Was it before? I don't know. I think that, that was definitely post-producers. Well, he, he said that, like, from what I read, it was, like, he thinks that, like, this movie made jokes about, like, the actions of the Nazis not making fun of the Nazis themselves. Like, that was his, like, big claim about this movie. And then also, like, a quote that I found was, the philosophy of the film is people can get over anything. No, they can't. They can't get over a count, a concentration camp. Like Mel Brooks said that. Um, I would argue. I would. I would argue against that. So I would also argue against that. I think. Wait, Paul. Do you want to say? Well, I think like from a satirical aspect, the whole idea of comedy is making what you call a game out of something. So you. A game is pretty much you have that one variable that makes suddenly the the situation just like a laughing matter. So, for example, like I don't know if you guys know Whitest Kids, you know, do you know you know that yeah, like the gallon yeah, of PCP yeah. bit. So like the gallon yeah. of PCP bit now in the scene is this joke, and it's like, oh, what's what you doing with the gallon of PCP? So these you know rules in the situation of the world is kind of you know like the the external forces that are driving this along. So it's like, oh, like probably the reason that Guido was at the school that day, you know, he just happened to be there with, you know, talking to the guy at the restaurant who was the uh, official from Rome who was, you know, putting in the new curriculum at this school. So it was happening in real time, you know, this big reform's coming and here he is, you know, making a mockery of it. It's kind of showing how like, just like the whole ideology of like, of the Nazis, you know, the having earlobes that you know don't hang or aren't attached, you know, to your yeah. your, your your face that makes you superior. So it, it's taking this like you know this thing that actually exists and making this ridiculous like item that you can like play off and like you know throw it across yeah. the room and it will have an effect. I wouldn't say it's you know, oh well like the Nazis did this. Let's make fun of it and then make a heartfelt story out of it. That's not. It's yeah. how do you? I use this ideology is you know like a stepping stone to you know like raise the stakes or you know i guess that's where i'm going with this yeah i mean i think that in that scene particularly is when he really does a good job of skewering fascism like he shows how truly ridiculous it is um and he does make a mockery of it and i don't think personally at any point in the movie they're making fun of the shit that the nazis did like they're not making light of that it's very like he is making these like this game right this whole plot is like he's making this game for his son 
that is very clearly for a child. Like, if you are an adult watching this movie, I don't think that you're sitting there thinking that he, too, believes this is a game and that he, too, believes that this is not something to be taken seriously. Like, you can see the pain on the on the faces of the other people there who are, like, shocked by everything that's happening. And everything that's happening around him is still very much, like, dark and evil. And there's a lot of, like, r- really dark moments in this movie as well. So I don't understand how anybody could think that they don't show the gravity of like concentration camps and what they were like. I don't know. Just, Just jump to, off. Oh no, go, go, go. no, Alex, you go. I want you to go. <laughs> okay. Um, Just to play devil's advocate, um, like a problem that I did have with the movie and just, I'm going to like try and frame it through this like observation is how like the whole time he's like putting on this, this front for his son like to preserve his innocence, obviously the like the main basis of the movie. I just wish that either more people in that um, room that they were in, like the other prisoners were, were like either. I wish there was a moment where someone kind of snapped on him and it would maybe justify these like notions for people criticizing the movie of like, this isn't a game. You know what I mean? And like, at least like everyone involved is now aware that it's not a game or it was larger of like more people within. Cause like he kind of became cool with some of those dudes. Like I wish like maybe at least one of them kind of showed like he would say something to the sun to like try to get just like more hope out there. You know what I mean? Um, I don't agree with what people are saying about this movie. Um, just like, I, I, I didn't really agree that Jojo Rabbit was a controversial movie. Like, I didn't think it really played Nazism for a joke. I think that's just ridiculous to assume that, like, anyone would think um, this is being played, like, off lightly. Uh, but I, like, I wish there was kind of a moment of, like, gravity, uh, I guess. That was, like, one thing I was looking for. I'll agree with you there. I mean, you know, there there is a lot of options they could have gone with. Um Something I read recently in one of my like school books, but writing a story, it's, you know, keep it simple. So if this story is about preserving innocence. You know, I could argue that's also like, well, you don't really need, you know, like those side characters. It's really the stories about the father and the son. For sure. Right. And it's also, you could also argue like, and I, this is a little outlandish, but that could have been the, the boy's experience, you know, like the narrator, he's, you know, like the, the narrator from the beginning of the film is technically Joshua. So that could have been, you know, his recalling of the experience. Obviously as a young kid, he's not going to recall everything. You know, but he's like, Oh yeah, there's pop and me. And then there was Bartet, whatever the fuck his name is. Bartolomeo. Like- Bartolomeo. Yeah. Bartholomew. There's Mr. Mayo across the room. You know, I don't think it's a very like keen player in this story. But yeah, That's I valid. definitely agree. But I think that there are moments of, you know, kind of where this game is almost broken down. Uh, Joshua doesn't know where the other kids are. And he's like, well, the other kids told me they make us out of uh, soap. They make us soap and buttons. And the, the father's, you know, oh, no, that's ridiculous. So silly. You know, yeah. Anthony. You know, like, even that, like that, that wasn't like a big satirical joke, like something like, you know, earlier in the film it was more of a all right now this is actually starting to break down on him after that long day of work and that's amazing to me the fact that his emotion like Guido's emotion goes so quickly from 
you know, working, you know, carrying anvils all day to, you know, being there for his son and creating this, you know, little world for him, despite the monstrosities that are happening around them. Guido is a top five movie parent. Uh, I agree. For sure. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, one of the main things here, right, and one of the main themes in any Holocaust movie, for at least for the most part, is like resilience of spirit, like. And like you said, his ability to go through this this horrible, hard labor and then come back and immediately, like, keep it going for his son at all costs. Like, he is no longer out here trying to protect his own life. He is merely trying to protect his son's life and his son's innocence. Even um, at the end, he's trying to get Dora. That, that's really why, you know, yeah. Guido... He's a selfless guy. Yeah. Um, But I think that, you know, like you said about, you know, when the kid's like you know, they make us into soap and buttons. Like, I don't think that he's like, like you said, I don't think he's like satirizing that. I think he's almost pointing out how outlandishly terrible that is. Um, he's like telling his son, like it can't possibly be true, but like, we know that that is true. Is that what they would and, do? Not to sound angry. Yeah. Right? That's yes. no, but I mean, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Amongst other things. And well, yeah. yeah. And like, like actually soap, like they, they take, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Well, because soap, I think, is made from like horse bones and shit. No, yeah. horse. No, soap is made from um, like animal fat. I'm pretty sure. Okay, fine. Animal fat. So maybe they're making it from human fat, though. I'm pretty sure. But uh, Hold on. I gotta Google is... how to make soap. <laughs> Pause for scientific research. But uh, I don't know. I think that it, it's definitely they ride the line well between you know, maybe making a mockery of it while also, you know, trying to pre preserve the innocence of the viewer as well as the characters. What do you got for us, Paul? Hold on, I'm sorry. I was looking at the soap. <laughs> Can you repeat soap, that? Yo, I know. What do, what do you got for us on the soap? Oh! I thought you asked me another question. <laughs> okay. Um, pretty much to make homemade soap, you need just, like, a bunch of oil, like coconut oil, olive oil, other liquid oils. <laughs> Almond oil, grapeseed oil, sunflower oil, and safflower oil. Hold on, All let me click more. Let me click more items. So pretty much, yeah, you just you just need fat, like lipids. So I'm, I'm doing a little more focused, a little focused research here. Um, apparently, scholars say that no, the Nazis did not do that, but testimonies from Holocaust survivors say that they did. Hmm. So, you know, but obviously in the nature of like a holo like a Holocaust situation, like a concentration camp, it's not Who like knows? they're being told what's happening yeah. to them. They Who don't know. It's all happening. rumor and hearsay, and that almost makes it scarier. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where we're going with the soap thing. But uh, I want to move forward a little bit. Um, you know, I just want to say like, you know, to bring the scope a little bit larger when talking about like Holocaust movies – um, and I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here and pretend that I'm somebody who didn't like this movie. Um, what do you guys think about like the idea of emotional manipulation in movies? And like, cause I think there's this classic like trope. Okay. Like the hall, like we're going to make our Holocaust movie to win this Oscar. Right. And like, I think that there's an argument that people could say like with something like the Holocaust, like it's so tragic, like there's no way you're not going to feel an emotional response to it. Like you guys use that as kind of cheating at all. I think it's cheating if it's empty because I've like, I don't know. I've never won. I've never been one to be like, cause a lot of people will, 
will claim that, oh, you know, like if you put like a, a nice piece of music right here, like it'll it'll manipulate you to like want to cry more. And like, I don't think that's manipulative. I just think that's using all the resources at your disposal to to like the best effect. Um, But specifically within Holocaust movies and and war movies in general, um, I think that like. I don't know. Like I said, if it's if it's kind of an empty gesture and just it's very clear that like they're just using this backdrop to be an Oscar bait movie. I don't think it's justified. But I think in a situation like this or in a situation like Schindler's List, like these movies clearly have a lot of heart and like care put behind it. And it, it becomes more than just like showing the viewer what happened in the Holocaust. Like there is a, a point to basing this film within this setting and i think it works within like the the movie um yeah so i would well go ahead i mean like if i understand people being you know either like uncomfortable by it or or not wanting to see it like presented in certain ways if at all but i think i mean i can't really say anything but like me personally like i think i thought this was a very moving film um well just to continue with my like where I was going with this, I was talking to Cypress today about this. So shout out Cypress for having an in-depth conversation about it, um, about like slavery movies and Holocaust movies and the idea of like that these movies sometimes feel like they're made to to produce guilt in people um, who didn't experience it versus like educating them as much about it. Um, so I think there's definitely, like you said, like some movies, it really does come down to the con- like the meat and bones of the movie and like what what the actual message is trying they're trying to send here. And I would say that if you're making a Holocaust movie and your message here is that the Holocaust is sad, then I don't think you're getting that job done. Like, well, Freddie Gibbs even has that bar to where he's like, wow, wow, what? I the Holocaust, and you're immediately coming back with Freddie Gibbs. I love it. Because well, no, you said slavery. He said he has that bar where he says slave movies every year. Yeah, the master going to remind us. And he has this whole thing where, like, he says, I want to say 2015, 2016, like nine slave movies came out in a row. And it's like, what's up with that? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, there, there is definitely a conversation to be had about just using these these awful moments in history to kind of sell tickets get people in theaters um yeah but i don't know like it can be handled gracefully it cannot be so i guess it depends so i'd like to argue like i don't think it's like in this that situation where it's like all those slave movies came out i don't think like there's like in that instance like people like in 2015 and 2016 were all like oh like let's all make a bunch of money by making a bunch of like slave movies and like you know, it'd be great. Like that's the trend right now. I think you have to more look at it. Like, so yeah, one movie comes out and maybe that inspires, you know, a different director or a different writer to make some other, you know, project. And then the studio sees this and it kind of just chain reaction. I was saying like, that could have been, you know, possible, but it could also yeah. be, you know, like think about, you know, like 2015 and like 2016 and like the United States, you know, we were ending this. I don't mean to get like really political about it. Cause I don't want to like, bring it there but like a lot of go times in films a lot of times the films get made you got to look at you know like the the era in which they were made for sure so those could a lot and i bet a lot of those films are that you're referring to are testimonies of you know this transition from you know the obama administration to you know back to who knows what with donald trump and that's just me you know i could be talking out of my ass so i don't, I don't want to use like you know like manipulation as like an idea i could say that there's the times 
that could definitely influence, you know, creatives. But I don't think that's the case with, you know, Life is Beautiful. I'm not really sure what was going on in 1999 that really, you know, like, warranted this, you know, uh, socio-political yeah. debate about the Holocaust all of a sudden or, you know, some recognition about it. But I think um, the thing that's great about, like, you know, like, movies, they're stories, you know, and a story could be from anyone's perspective. Um, this is a different way to look at this, you know, like, terrible event and use, like, some of these, like, similar themes that, you know, you're talking about the Holocaust and still bring those to light while not making the film all just, you know, a a terrible, sad movie about, like, loss. And, you know, there there are aspects to this film that there's terrible things going on, but it's, you know, taking the beautiful parts of life and, like, using those to, like, keep you going and, like, treasure them. Like, I I don't get how this film is, you know, manipulation. Yeah, this the Holocaust didn't actually happen in like a comedy like this movie. And it's not making a satirical statement about the Holocaust. It's just from a different person's eyes and a different meaning that you're supposed to get out of it. Yeah. And I want to say definitely like, I don't know. There's obviously like the way they pace certain moments in this movie um, just really speaks towards the overall message of the, of the film. Like, you know, going towards the end of the movie, there's this really pivotal scene, like right before he dies, where he's walking through that fog and he comes across that pile of bodies haunting and he realizes it's like ash in the air. And like at that moment, his innocence is destroyed and it's over for him. Um, that is, and, you know, the moment when he's actually killed, it happens off screen. Um, and it's quick and even for a second you're not even sure you're like did he just die like and i think that that's crucial because it's not you know in that moment like i think he really dies when he sees that that image you know that's like it's over for him and at that point forward he he's gone you know whatever he can do now to save his son and the rest of his family that's that's what he'll do but in terms of saving himself at that moment i think he he can't anymore can we talk about the innocence throughout this movie? Because I think one of like the craziest like twists is the the doctor friend. Yeah, how he calls him in to you know be a waiter for the night, and how Guido thinks he's like oh going to help him out, but his real request is he needs a riddle answered. Yeah, that is so wild to me. It's a very great moment, and I think yeah. it also talks gravity about like the whole theme of innocence. Hit us with the innocence. Hit us with the innocence. Okay. I think the doctor friend is just such a a wide statement on, like, the Nazis' philosophy at the time. Yeah. When you think about it, because like, a lot of the people involved knew it was, like, terrible. And, like, they deserve things that came their way. But that's a different conversation. But the fact that he asks Guido, hey, you know, I have this riddle. I can't sleep. That is just so outlandish to think about how, yeah. like, on a scale from their perspective, like, this was all, like, okay. Does that, does that make sense? I take yeah. Well, I think that's a clear statement there on the Nazi attitude, which is like, you know, there are some of them that are like, you know, we're just following orders at the lower level. And then at the higher level, there's just this overwhelming sense of complacency. 
and like yes. just like you are you're in it and like he doesn't see anything wrong with that like it's not like guido stands there and is like yeah you can't sleep i'm sleeping on a wooden fucking bed in a shack with 40 other men like Bartholomew peed know. on me last night <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like no but seriously and like you know he is obviously you know meant to show the heartlessness of the Nazis. And I think this movie doesn't really, this movie doesn't go, we don't really hear any of the Nazis talk at all, except for him. Like he's the only one we actually like hear dialogue from. Yeah. um, And can understand. So I think that that's important because it shows how this, like that is how this movie wanted to portray the Nazis. And I think if you still think that that's like a satire, like if you think that's a, cause like, I mean, obviously it's kind of funny, but not really. It's just it's really like a heartbreaking in that moment. Yeah. It's just like in that moment, you're like, this is so heartbreaking. He's like in this tense situation trying to save his child's life, trying to save his wife's life. And like, all you can think about is a fucking duckling. And for the record, I do not know what the answer to that riddle is. I don't know if either of you guys do. I wouldn't be able to find any of the, think the answers to those riddles, nor would I care. If someone was to tell me a riddle, that riddle is out of my head. Like the first five seconds you leave. My, my I've heard like two. I've heard the silence one. Before. The silence one, I knew the answer to, but and I don't think it's just because I saw this movie before. But like, that's like a pretty easy one. Yeah. Um. Qua. Qua. But no, qua. I think. I think. I think that. I was like expecting this kind of turn of like, oh damn, like because you are conditioned to have those movies where like, all right, there's gonna be the one who like realizes how fucked this all is he's gonna get them out or at the very least like he'll get his son out like there's gonna be that moment like well at least just take my son i like, get him out of here and i was expecting it to go that way but i think like you said like it does a very good job of like this movie has many moments where it's just like inc- it shows the soullessness of it all um and it's it does such an amazing job at just like flipping the switch and then how we said even earlier how like Guido went from that long day to like holding the 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 curtains up and just like keeping that facade going as long as possible. Um, it does a very good job at like flip flopping back and forth without ever sacrificing the either the the harshness of the situation or the lightheartedness of like what he's doing for his son. Um, brilliant yeah, balancing yeah. act. Yeah, I think they ride that line so well, and that's why this movie works, Yeah, honestly. Um, I think if they didn't ride the line that well, then you'd be getting sort of mixed messages, and obviously everybody interprets this movie differently, but... I think the I music think the majority... also does a lot, how you interpret it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the score is... Great I mean, music. score is how you convey a lot of emotion in a movie, but like... I would say it definitely helps form the overall tone of certain moments when we're meant to feel senses of hope versus like, I don't think there's a moment, like I said, in this movie where you feel the utter despair of the situation until that moment at the end, when he sees the pile of bodies, like, yeah. So that's when it's like finally real. Yeah. And that's why it hits so hard because it's like it, you know, I mean, look at, look at like his situation here, right? Guido is not a Jewish person. So he is in there. Is he? Yeah, dude. Dora's not think he Jewish. Is. No, he is. He because ha- he had the the star on his. Oh, okay, jacket. fair. Well, on his his door was you know. I thought they were trying to imply that he just was put in there because he was associating with Jews. Well, Uncle Leo, I assumed was Jewish. No, his, yeah, his I mean, okay, was Jewish. 
Okay, so let's say he's Jewish. Then let's take it from the aspect of his family, right? So his family's in there. They're not Jewish. From his perspective, they don't even deserve to be there, right? And he, you know, I mean, his wife only went because he was there. So, you know, he obviously feels this sense of responsibility. Not that, even like, even before that, he dedicated his life to her, it seems, um, and to his family. But even more so in that in that situation, you know, it's just the ultimate sacrifice. Well, you have to also think what else Dora's sacrificed, you know, we're talking about Dora's character. I mean, in the beginning of the film, she's, you know, comes from this well-off family who's got, you know, some good political power, good money, and her, you know, match-made husband to be fiance there is a, you know, political official who shares, you know, fascist ideology so that's why you know they're having this big banquet for this you know right. uh wedding shower so she already left her family to be with guido who's you know just a poor countryman um and that's why when the mother goes into the jewish store there and she's you know inspecting it because she's she doesn't you know she doesn't belong there in the jewish store and then she meets the little boy and he knows that the woman visiting is the grandmother Right. She has a little bit of power, so that's why Dora goes to, you know, the the train station with, you know, after you know, she learns they've been taken away. And that's why she's trying to say there's been a mistake, thinking, you know, like her family name might, you know, do a little something. So then she ultimately makes the sacrifice of going to the camp right. as well. I think, like, not to get sappy, but this is kind of, you know, obviously a sappy movie in some senses. Like... The idea that she gives up, she kind of, if you look at it from that perspective, she kind of gave up everything to be with him because she felt like the world that he could create for her, just as him as a person, was more beautiful, pun intended, than anything that she could have found through riches or luxury or anything she had in life before. And it just shows the great power of certain people and like, Obviously, the theme of the movie is showing what truly is beautiful in life, and that's just the human spirit and the ability to to brighten other people's lives in whatever way you can in like a truly selfless way. And so we definitely get a sense of that aspect, and that's one of the other ways that we really get Guido's character established well in the first act. I mean, it pays off well in the second act. Um, I want to move to a different topic, Paul. You mentioned something to me um, about why you picked this and why it's relevant in today's society. And so I didn't know if you wanted to like touch on yeah. that a little bit. I mean, right now everyone's you know bugging out about COVID nineteen, the, the coronavirus. I know I've been you know pretty stuck at home, and it's you know really getting to me. And a lot of people are you know missing you know just like the little things in life. And, but I think, you know, you always have to remember that no matter what's going on, our situation with the coronavirus is nowhere close to what people had endure during the Holocaust. I'm pretty sure I saw um, Mayor de Blasio saying, comparing this time to like the Great Depression or like something like the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not, nothing's, it's not the same in no way, but you know, like, there's still the aspect of the, you have to face adversity and like through it all, you know, like just stay, you know, positive and, you know, look at the good things and things you have, you know, like Guido, you know, like look, he, he got everything he really wanted in life. And even though all this shit was happening around him, you know, he's still trying to maintain that world for the people around he loved. 
So no matter what you're going through, just try to, you know, keep it, uh, keep it moving. Always try to, you can't, you can't fall, fall. You can't fail while you're, you know, working towards something. So whatever it is, just remember, keep, keep life beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, like, you know, like I was saying earlier, it sounds a little bit ridiculous to say things like that, a little bit corny, but it is really true. And in this time, like, if you don't believe that you have the ability to make like to make an impact in someone else's life, like watch this movie and tell me you can't change somebody's life and change the entire world around them and change their world perspective because you absolutely can. And uh, I think in this time, it's important that we all try to brighten each other's days up a little bit as best we can. Um, and that's one of the things we're doing here. I mean, Alex, what are your thoughts on that? Hells yeah. Um, so like, <clears throat> just <Hells> like yeah. a, <laughs> um, I like literally never heard of this movie before this week um, when I found out we were doing this movie. Um, but funnily enough, like two weeks before, I was just like, I like watching Oscar speeches and like award speeches in general. And um, I like going down the rabbit hole and I stumbled upon one because it was like, oh, this is like the best one ever. And someone was like, oh, I present this one. And it's Roberto Benigni uh, winning best foreign film. Um, and he wins it. They, they announce his name and he's yeah. so excited that he gets up, stands on the chair and is like cheering and like starts stepping. He's like walking to the stage, like on the chairs, it's fire. Um, and a lot of people are mad at that. Like, Oh, how could you like have such joy winning when you won it? Like off of a film like this. And like, to me, that's just like fundamentally misunderstanding. Like the point of this movie, like both of you said, like, Obviously, circumstances are incredibly different now, and uh, no one like that didn't live through it can imagine what it's like, what it was like to be in that situation. But just like that immense, like I don't know, having I'm a big believer that positive thinking and like a positive outlook on life, um, and just like doing your best to spread joy and positivity does come back in a large way. Not just because it makes you a good person, but like I think that is truly important to like mental health and and an outlook on life like if you keep a positive outlook you will just feel better on the daily um i can like say it for myself maybe it's just coincidence but i truly believe it um there's a long-winded way of saying like i think that the joy and and like adoration of life and that preservation of innocence in this movie is incredibly important um and whether you whether or not you agree that it works within this movie i think you would be incredibly remiss to say that like that's not an incredibly important theme to like hold close to your heart um regardless so like i think this movie is incredibly impactful and important now in a time when like we do need this sense of like hope and who knows what the hell is going on but uh i think this is a very important movie and now that like i understand not only was it your favorite movie but like the reason why you chose it specifically within this time is an awesome 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 reason um and like you said no no better way to say it you could sum up everything that i just said by listening to what paul said keep it moving (laughs) yes keep moving um so now we're just gonna say any like closing thoughts on this movie um i mean alex you kind of just gave yours i'll just say like it, this movie is is not an easy one to watch at times, 
Um, but I think it's a really important one. Um, it tells the story really delicately and carefully and with compassion. And I think that it's a really important movie for everybody to watch. I think you need, look, don't go watch this movie. If you're looking for the most accurate and like heartbreaking depiction of the Holocaust, you can find like, that is not what this is. This is about, you know, people and love and the important things in life that can get you through even the hardest of times. So that's what I'll say. Paul, anything to add? Um, yeah, I think you said it pretty well. I'm just going to say, you know, definitely check out, you know, this film. Um, and also just, you know, films of other, you know, native descent. It's really important to keep your horizons open and always be exploring, um, you know, media and just culture that isn't our own you know like how connected the world is you know we have zoom now we have the, yeah. this podcast for example and you can you can view content and connect with people from literally anywhere around the world so just open yourselves to uh you know new ventures in life and uh whenever down just look at the little things keep going for sure um so we like to do a little rating right give this movie a rating out of five for me it's a five um alex paul what are you guys thinking Five out of what? Out of Ten? five. No, oh. five. Okay. Like, I gonna... think this is a perfect movie. Like, I have no flaws in this movie. Yeah, I'm going to give it a five, too. I mean, watching it over, like, I, uh-huh. I could always see things that I thought could be better. But, like, overall, like, I think this won the Oscar for a reason. Yes, 100%. Al? Sure. Um. Also, real quick, I never, I didn't even realize this was also nominated for Best Picture as well as it Best was. Foreign. We could have had a, uh, the first Parasite, however many years ago. Um, I gave it a four. Twenty-one. Sorry. No, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I still really, really, really enjoy this movie. Um, and did you watch definitely... the English dub? <laughs> Facts. Facts. Well, I could see myself giving it a four and a half. At some point, if I re when I rewatch it, I shouldn't even say that because like watching that, like every now and then, like the last time I had this was the Princess Bride, where I was like, "Yo, I can't wait to show my kid this movie." And I think this is a movie that like will last years and years to come because it just is a very timeless tale. Yeah. Um, and like putting my like minor problems with it to the side, like it, I I still think it is incredibly well deserved of all its awards and its accolades and it was an incredibly fun watch not fun it was an incredibly rewarding uh watch yeah i think so um so um last thing we like to do is you know paul you picked this movie um so let's say i just watched this movie and i loved it and i watched the subtitled version because i'm not alex and uh i wanted to go watch something else what should i go watch give us a couple of recs all right, just so we're on, oh jeez, all right, just so we're on, we're on like the Italian topic. Uh, I, I had another unit in Italian with that same teacher that Rob was mentioning, where we had to do a film unit, and that always like stuck with me. And when I was like thinking about changing my major in college, I always like thought about the, that in the back of the mind. So try to like, I guess like I'll suggest like any like Italian like neo realism realistic film. So like the real the neorealistic era was like right after like World War Two and it's when um a bunch of different um Italian directors one being like Federico Fellini is like yeah. one of like the grandfathers was one of the gods of this with just you know 
make uh, instead of having a big budget set in a studio, they would just go out and film. You know, maybe with an actor if it was a skilled actor. Otherwise, they would just find someone that they're like, all right, this is the guy who's gonna play my movie. And yeah. um, you know, so it's very depicting of like the countryside. I'm gonna go with uh, Federico's Federico Fellini's La Strada. It's about okay. a um, a girl who is sold to a circus performer, um, oh, on the street, and uh, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, I haven't seen enough Fellini. I've only seen La Dolce Vita, um, but I have eight and a half on deck waiting. Maybe I'll watch eight and a half this week. Maybe I will. But yeah, awesome. Um, Alex, do you have any recommendations for this? Um, yeah, like I said, a uh, great dictator. I think that's like if you were if you were gonna do a double feature of anything, I would highly recommend it be this. Just like do a double header one two. Um, they fit very well that. together. It's yeah, it's dope. Um, and it's like I think like under no, I think it's like two hours clean or something. Um, something else I would recommend is Bicycle Thieves, which oh great, movie. incredibly famous. Um, one of my favorite. Mo- I saw it in for the first time in a cinema 111 class. And it's, it's just like an unbelievable Italian film. I think it's around world war two. It's not a war film, but I believe it takes place like during that time. Um, and it's just fantastic. It's another tale about like a father and a son. And it's dope. I might watch that this weekend. Like that's an unbelievable movie. Yeah. Um, Wait, can I make one more suggestion? All... Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Just cause we're talking about, um, we're talking about like near realism and then, you brought up like the bicycle thief. This came out in 1945, right after the war. Um, it's called Rome Open City, and it shows the destruction of Rome from actual World War II. Is it a documentary or like a? No, it's a it's a um, it's a narrative. Like I said, oh, they cool. just they, they filmed in the streets of you know war torn Rome, and they found you know two people to play the leads and. That's really it. No people with any formal skills. So, like, the acting's not great, but it's still, you know, like, a huge feat you'll see, you know, for the era. Oh, definitely. Um, and then the one that I would recommend, I also have to give this shout out to Cypress because she brought this movie up today, but I thought it was very fitting, um, is Pan's Labyrinth. Um, oh, a yeah. different, different type of idea here, but um, something along the lines of preserving innocence um, through fantasy. Now, obviously, it's more into the fantasy than this is right it's very much unreal in that movie um but in terms of like distractions from the real world and what people do and go through to try to cope with whatever their their terrible situation is so that and that's just an amazing movie it's also world war ii i have not seen pan's labyrinth but it is on my list and that's why i made a noise you said it yeah you got it it's very good um but one wait, so I, one final one sorry yeah 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 because, this uh, is because oh no no paul you have one no, no no just never mind go oh um i haven't seen it but i really want to i've wanted to for years i know this is one of sarf's favorite movies uh cinema paradiso um about a father and his son and just filmmaking in general um i think i've seen that i don't really know like don't i just know it's italian and it's about like a father and a son and their love for film. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so you guys have some good stuff to go check out. Um, and if you made it this far without even seeing life is beautiful, you have now ruined the movie for yourself. What are you doing? You be very ashamed. 
Um, but quaff, at this quaff, time, quaff. <laughs> quaff, quaff, quaff. and like at this time, we are going to thank our guest, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this with us. Um, you're a busy thank man. You, you got a lot you. of stuff going on. And uh, your your prize is, is that you get to uh, take a minute here and uh, tell the people what you got going on in your world, stuff you're working on, stuff you're excited about, and where they can find you on social media and whatnot. All right. So uh, where well, you can find me on social media first, I guess. Uh, so I have a, a main page at Paul T underscore Inc. Um, and then I have like a media page where I post all of my like films and like other videos i make which is woodbine underscore media under a score house uh josh who's put that in a post if you want to yeah yeah that. we'll definitely send that super, out super swagadelic um i'm gotcha. a student at penn state majoring in film uh i was supposed to be going to the con film festival um in may to work um the festival under the uh american pavilion film and business program it's like you know, just a kind of internship thing going on for students. Um, and then I will be in Los Angeles next spring as part of the Penn State Hollywood program. So I'm uh, really excited to uh, do that, you know, start working in industry out there on the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, that's where to be, right? That's where you yeah. want to be. California awesome. dreaming, baby. Yes, sir. Or leaves the ground. <laughs> Alex, plug your shit. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at AlexPaps1, on Twitter at SamuraiPaps, on Letterboxd at AG Person. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at WTRPod. Yes. And as always, people, you can find me at Josh Lemper, J O S H L E M P E R T, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, anything else, real life, come find me. Um, once again, Paul, we just want to say thank you so much for doing this with us. Had a lot of fun. Um, we'd love to have you come back sometime. Um, and yeah, people, as always, before we bounce out of here, you know, the drill, right? You got to go to the page. You got to go follow and like the stuff on the page. That's how we build traction. You're doing me a favor. You're doing Alex favor. And it's huge. And then if you take the time to do that, you want to help us a little more, please, please, please go to our page on Apple podcasts. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and give us a rating or review. Um, that would just be huge for helping us out and helping our podcast grow so we can bring on other great guests like Paul. What did you just send me, Alex? It's not. Tell not, me what you just sent me. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to read this caption for you. <laughs> and we'll see if we leave it in. Kylie throwing it back, and I just can't see how anyone could complain. It's the Instagram. We've all been waiting. For. It's on Instagram, and I know Josh loves Kylie Jenner. I do love Kylie Jenner, but now's not the time. I was thinking uh, it's a nice little treat. It's a treat for doing a great hosting job. <laughs> it's a treat for a great hosting job. So that's all a treat. Right. All right. Closing thoughts on Kylie Jenner. Paul, go. Um, you're great. I, I bet. I don't know. I don't Kylie, know. you hear that? Kylie, you're you're great. He bets. All Life right? is beautiful. <laughs> Life is beautiful. All right, guys. We're heading out. Peace.